Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Playwright Repertory Podcast. I'm Mitchell Huntley, here with my co-host, Sarah Lena Sparks. Hello! And today, we're going to be reading the play Folly by Aurora Belke. Hello, Aurora. Hi! Yay, Aurora! Woo! So we're going to start off with learning a bit about Aurora through our special fun way on the Playwright Repertory Podcast, and then we're going to get into her play. We're doing a play, guys! Wow, doing a play for the first time in in seven episodes. All right. Aurora, are you familiar with Magnet to your computer? I sure am. (laughs) All right. Audiences, you know what's up. If you don't know what's up, uh, you'll get it. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Lift off and the clock has started. Aurora, Magnet to your computer. What is your favorite season of the year? Winter. You can only put one thing on your resume. What would it be? I play the accordion. Oh, dang. I want to play the accordion. I I actually asked my parents for an accordion a while ago, and they laughed in my face and said no. (laughs) If you could travel in time anywhere, past or future, when and where would it be? Oh, boy. Um, You know what? I'd probably go back to the 2000s. I just, that was a good time. 2008, time. good year, good year, good year. Okay. Time. You have all the money in the world to plan a party. What's the theme? Oh boy. Um, the theme would be, you know, I'm really feeling the nostalgia vibes. I think it would be just like nostalgia, as much nostalgic content as we can manage to put in one place. Wonderful. Yeah. Which Disney princess sidekick character are you? Mm. I this is embarrassing. I don't know many Disney princess sidekicks. I'm getting Pascal vibes from Rapunzel, so I'll answer that for you. But yeah, <laughs> okay, I'll take Pascal it. I'll take vibes. it. Okay. okay. Favorite play or a musical? And that's a hard one. Just pick one that you really into at the moment oh my gosh one um let's see mr burns a post-electric play is by far my favorite play the third act is a futuristic post-apocalyptic opera which seems very relevant for right now Mm -hmm. um and it's about the simpsons i love that play (laughs) all right favorite childhood book um, I had this book called Madalinka or Madalinka, um, and it's about a girl who loses her tooth and goes around town and tells everyone in town that she's lost her tooth. Oh, um, cute. It's, it's a very joyful book. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What are you binging on Netflix and or any streaming service? So I'm a nerd and I have been watching all of the productions that the National Theater has been airing recently. Yeah, that that counts. That counts. counts. Oh, those are great. Every Thursday, man, I tune into the National Theater. I finished up watching Midsummer Night's Dream. That was good. (laughs) I just finished. I just watched a whole bunch of their frantic assembly workshops online last night. All right. You can have tea with one person, dead or alive, for one day. Who is it? I'm going to be a nerd again and say Lynn Nottage. Yeah. And our last and final question, Bambi's dad or Hercules? So I feel an obligation to say Bambi's dad simply (laughs) because um, I'm going with the, like, Alaskan themes here. Okay. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, I got to say Bambi's dad. Bambi's yes. dad. Yes. You, you heard it from the girl herself, Bambi's dad. We should take a, we should have a tally of how many people have said what, and yeah. you know? I think we've had more team Bambi's dad than not. I just want to say that I do have authority on the subject being a, an Alaskan myself. So, mm-hmm. um... I hate to break it to you, but the answer has to be Bambi's dad. Yes, Bambi's it does. Dad. Yes, it does. <laughs> All right. And now we are going to continue to our reading of Folly by Aurora Belki. I'll be reading the cast list. Okay. So first we have our service slash soapy slash hiker, which will be played by our very own Ben Suskind. Hey, guys. And then we have our Seaward slash Frank slash Hiker 2, played by Hamish Marison Clark. What's that? And Sam, played by 
our wonderful Bella Arnold. Hi. Dan, played by Alyssa Carroll. Hey. And then we have Ragtime Man, played by Wes DeLulio. Hey there. And The Horse, played by our very own Mitchell Huntley. <laughs> you just spit into your <laughs> microphone. Into my microphone. I really you don't know what that sounded like. Have a, I have a. Do that one again. You gotta do it. Take two. Take two. That will still remain in the actual thing. You blew it. I blew it. You blew it, Mitchell. I really just blew. Spit. It's like nothing wrong. I'm just spitting on my mic. You blew it. Okay. Okay. And the horse, which will be played by our very own Mitchell Huntley. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> and now we will be going on to our reading of Bali. There's gold and it's haunting and haunting. It's luring me as of old. Yet it isn't the gold that I'm wanting so much as finding the gold. It's the great big broad land way up yonder. It's the forests where silence has lease. It's the beauty that thrills me with wonder. It's the stillness that fills me with peace. The Spell of the Yukon by Robert Service. Ragtime kid shuffles to a piano bench. He vaguely regards whatever fills the void in front of him with something reminiscent to a smile as he sits down. His palms are sweating. For a moment, we wonder, can Ragtime kid really play? He can. Ragtime kid plays a ragtime overture. Maybe maple leaf rag, but it's a little too fast. last chord echoes throughout the north and thus the play begins sam and dan and horse are resting in a gloomy patch of woods sam is caressing a container of sourdough while dan is playing a harmonica tune he's not particularly good the tune keeps going every time we think it's over it's not if you persist with your trashy tune i will lose my marbles you lost your marbles years ago as much as i despise you for that comment you speak the truth. My pockets were full of marbles when I started this quest. Along the way, my marbles were lost. But I thought, no matter, for my pockets will soon be filled with gold. But my pockets are still empty, and I resent my empty pockets. I didn't venture to go up north to look at trees. I came here for gold, and gold I will get. Hand me the map. Let's see. From the looks of that mountain range right there, and that little creek over there, we're still lost. Now, our only choice is to continue this exhausting journey. Horse! Sam and Dan pile all their bags, pots, washing boards, etc. on top of horse. They depart. Horse speaks directly to the audience. My name is Horse. If you were wondering, I wasn't given a name by these hateful and sadistic men. But since they call me Horse, I go by Horse. I like to imagine that my name is something spiffy, something fancy, like Richard. And I am a respected explorer. Cities are named after me. Richardville, Richard Horseland, Dick Horse. But alas, I am but a horse in the middle of the Yukon. Horses don't even belong up here. And neither do these low and awful men. 
I am a particularly smart horse. Many horses cannot read maps. I can. But alas, as a horse, I cannot speak. I can only follow as they lead us further off trail. God of the North, give me a voice so I can save myself and these disgusting and vile men from the treachery of this trail. Oh, spirit of Seward, send me a sign. Twinkling dream noises played on a saloon piano. The jingling of hundreds of tiny coins, birds. Seward appears next to horse. He is made of golden flakes. Horse. Seward? Yes, it is I, son of the Klondike, father of the folly. Pay no mind to them. They're frozen in time for the time being. Now listen carefully, for this message warrants first. I must call upon my poetic scribe. Hey, it's me, the poetic scribe. Uh, Okay, uh, hope you like my poem. So long have you been traveling through ice and snow and sleet, and though your hopes unraveling and sore are your four feet, I promise if your party acts exactly as they should, then you and your companions will find passage from this wood. What do you mean by- Don't interrupt his poetry. Yeah, don't interrupt my poetry. Sorry. Your two friends have been blinded by the mere prospect of gold, and now you face a narrative of tragedy threefold. I pray you see that now you three are in a problem glum. It seems that you have stepped into a time continuum. Dirty ragtime dinge from Ragtime Kid. A time continuum? I don't follow. Dude, let him finish. Yeah, dude. Let me finish. While you are in conditions that are pale and frozen prime, you are also walking circles in a land of frozen time. You'll prove that you are worthy if you want to go back home. We have a name for this fateful game. It's called the Klondike Syndrome. Um, Sorry, uh, do do any of you have a a, a lozenge? For 100 years, you've frozen your ears and your tears within these trees. And I want to help you free yourself before you freely freeze. I'll send your way a game to play, a place to prove your power. And alternatively, I hope to see your companions be less sour. What must I do? That part is up to you, my dear old horse. Your companions will have to understand their flaws, of course. To pave the way, you need to say what you must to sway their choice. I'm granting you in your horseshoes the power... Of a voice. Okay, that's all. Thanks for listening to my poem. Hope you liked it. Couldn't have said it any better myself. That's why I hired a poet. Any questions? Yeah, I have a couple. And I'm not going to answer any of them. I wish you luck and be careful. They don't call the land up north dead horse for nothing. He winks. It's awkward because he hasn't winked in 100 years. Then he vanishes in a cloud of golden smoke. A haunting message from the spirit of Seward himself. God of the North, I am ready for your test. What is this? An omen? Seward, did you send me this soap? Horse, keep moving. We must stay on track. Fie, or could it be? Horse. Nay, it cannot be. Horse. A dirty cloud that smells like must and money. A villainous ragtime dinge from Ragtime Kid. Evening to you, gentlemen. It seems I've lost my soap. Soapy retrieves the soap. Sam and Dan scream while Horse yells nay. Nay! Who are you? Can you not tell by my long black hat, my handsome chiseled jaw, my rustic yet chic and bohemian style? I am Soapy Smith, legendary con artist of the North. Soapy Smith? How did you get here? I'm everywhere. You guys, I'm dead. What? What? Yeah, um, I, I've, been, I've been dead for a hundred years now. So it's true. We are stuck in a time continuum. Dirty ragtime dinge from ragtime kid. Soapy hears the ragtime dinge from ragtime kid. It's not his theme, he, and he knows. He gives ragtime kid the soapy smith eye. I have a favor to ask of you. A hundred years ago, I was caught in a most unpleasant exchange at Skagway. An exchange that left me with a bullet in my heart. 
after years of expertly finagling with an entire city out of their riches, I lost to one man with a gun, a pathetic and repetitive end. And now I want you to avenge my death. You want us to kill someone? Uh, no, man, he's like a hundred years dead. To- totally dead. I-, I want you to egg his gravestone. I-, I think that would be really funny. You want us- Egg the grave of the man who stripped me of my right to live. Why can't you egg his grave? Because. Uh, I-, I can't hold eggs because I have ghost hands. Oh, <laughs> okay. What's in it for us? Gold. Soapy's hands are suddenly full of gold. Golden flakes fall from the sky. Exciting ragtime riff from Ragtime Kid. Sam and Dan reach for the gold, but Soapy closes his hands tauntingly. We'll do it. What's this man's name? The earth shakes with his name. The dead wail under the ground. Soapy does a ritualistic wave of his hands, and a grave appears. It reads... Frank. Oh, Northern deity, hear me. I know egging this man's grave is the wrong path. Grant me my voice now so I can reason with these horrifying and strange men. Sam and Dan pick up eggs. Please, Seward, please. Sam and Dan aim their eggs. Magical ragtime noises as horse is granted a divine voice. Stop! Sam and Dan stop startled. They look at horse. Did our horse just talk? If you have any humility left, don't throw the eggs. I'm pretty sure it's impossible for horses to talk. Wait, seriously? You think it's totally legit that the ghost of Soapy Smith came back from the dead to ask you smarmy and disgusting gold rushers to egg his friend's grave, but you can't believe your horse can talk? That's a low blow. Ghosts? What's smarmy? Smarmy is an adjective meaning unpleasantly suave or ingratiating in a manner or speech. That is some top quality soap. Soapy reaches into his hat and pulls out a very small suave container. During the duration of this, Stagehand gives Sam and Dan bubbles. They are extremely confused, but that doesn't stop them from blowing bubbles and doing a small sidestep behind Soapy. Ragtime Kid underscores with ragtime shampoo tunes. Uh, I was always having issues with dry, flaky hair until I found Suave. They're really a heaven send. Uh, I just wish I had, they had a store in hell so I didn't have to pay for shipping. What a nuisance. Suave. Now in travel-sized containers for all your gold rush needs. Get them now, you stinky gold rushers. You guys! Ragtime Kid abruptly stops playing his ragtime shampoo tunes. Eggs? Eggs. Eggs. Don't throw them. Why? Because. Right now, we're stuck in a fold in a space-time continuum, and the divine Holy Spirit of Seward came to me in a golden mist, and then there was poetry, and although it's too complicated to get into right now, I really think that egging a dead man's final resting place is only going to cause us more trouble. I think we should summon the ghost of Frank. No way! That guy killed me. I I never want to see his fugly face again. So you'll spend the rest of eternity avoiding him? I'm just... What, scared of him? I thought Soapy Smith didn't get scared. I guess I was wrong. No, no, I'm not scared. Fine, let's summon him. But whoever summons him has to be grounded to this physical plane, which I'm not. And I'm a horse, so... Sam and Dan, this one's on you. I don't know. I'm still a fan of the egg idea, if anybody else is still game. Oh, come on, it'll be a blast. Soapy, lead the way. Um... Okay, um, first we need a harsh and unpleasant noise to wake Frank from his slumber. Where can we find an instrument to make a harsh and unpleasant noise? Everyone stares at the harmonica hanging around Dan's neck. My harmonica? The sweet voice of my angelic metal music box. You've lost your marbles. (laughs) According to you, I lost my marbles years ago. So to your trash box, bitch boy. Dan reluctantly plays his harmonica. It's hard to listen to. Right when Dan is getting a bit too into it, Soapy cuts him off. Okay, um, I, th- I, think, I think that's good. Now, we have to leave him here, an offering from the physical world. He really likes sourdough, I guess. You don't have any sourdough, do you? No. A long pause. Sam doesn't want to give up his sourdough. Yes. He reaches into his bag. When he takes out the sourdough, he caresses it. He kisses it. 
He might be near tears. Soapy snatches it from him. Thank you. Last, we need to welcome Frank back into this realm. I have to do this part. Yay, I guess. Soapy makes his way to Ragtime Kid. He slips him a $5 bill and dictates to him a murmur what his artistic vision is for this particular summoning. Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. Soapy steps center stage. Then, in bone-clattering verse that is underscored by unpleasant ragtime key banging from ragtime kid. Frank! Frank, whose breath was stolen away 100 years ago today. Emerge from the depths of despair where you lie sleeping. Emerge from your crypt, seething and breathing. Emerge from your haunting, deadly tomb. Awaken your body, emerge from hell's womb. Feel the cold blood seep again through your veins. Feel the sharp cracks of your bones moaning in pain. Feel your heart pumping. Smell it. Taste it. Hear it. Awaken your soul. Awaken your spirit. At the end of this, Soapy takes a lengthy gasp of breath. (sighs) And just when he can't take in any more air, he lets out a long, painful, haunted screech. The sound of pure anguish. Soapy levitates, then falls to the floor. <sighs> okay, that's all. Uh, now do we just wait? Yeah. He's on his way. Um, we ha- he has to cross over the barrier between the physical and the metaphysical realms first, which feels like uh, 200 knife bullets puncturing your body all at once. So he might be a little pissed off when he gets here. Are you nervous? No, I'm not, I'm not nervous. Why would I be nervous? I'm not nervous. I'm never nervous. So be Smith, famous con artist of the North, never does, does not get nervous. Oh, hey, Soapy. Oh, my God, Frank! Soapy punches Frank in the arm and immediately regrets it. Soapy wants to talk to you about something. That horse to speak? No. Nay. Soapy uh, discreetly looks at Horse. Horse motions for him to go on. Um, so, about the time where you, like, sh- shot me. Soapy, that was a hundred years ago. I-, I thought we were over that. I, I know, but it- it's been haunting me. I-, I thought we were friends, and then you, you know, shoot me. My whole life flashes before my eyes and as I fall into the dirt, and I'm like, Whoa, a real, a real friend wouldn't shoot their buddy. That's messed up. So then, in my final raspy gasp of breath, I'm like, great. So, so Frank was fake, a, a fake friend. Soapy, we were friends, but sometimes it's hard to balance work and friendship, especially when your friend is on your boss's death list, literally. I guess I got overwhelmed. I had a job to do. So, no hard feelings? No hard feelings. I'm glad we had this talk. Uh, Say, the boys and I are going out to see Klondike Kate's new show below tonight. Uh, She's got this whole tap number with Fred Astaire. You wouldn't know him. He's he's pretty new. Uh, Do you want to come? Frank, nothing would make me happier. I'll be waiting for you at the gates of death then. See ya. Before Frank leaves, he catches sight of his grave. Strange. I don't remember being buried here. He departs, a golden moment. Hey, uh, this is awkward because Soapy doesn't say thank you, but Soapy also doesn't make amends, so I guess this is a day of firsts. Anyways, um, thanks, you guys. You are a particularly smart horse. And Sam and Dan, I couldn't have done this without your help. Sam and Dan nod. They're very confused. Well, hasta la vista, baby! See you when you perish. Soapy vanishes in his ugly cloud of smoke. An evil ragtime tune from Ragtime Kid turns into twinkling dream noises. The jingling of hundreds of tiny coins. Birds. Seward emerges. Sam, Dan, horse, it is I, Seward. Son of the Klondike, father of the folly. You know, today is getting really weird. Pardon me as I further communicate in verse. He snaps his fingers and service appears in a poof of gold. Really weird. Hey guys, I'm back. Okay, I hope you like my poem. You two have shown true compassion today. And horse, 
I'm glad you found something to say. Your leadership thusly grants me to bestow upon you a name. You'll be known as Juno. So, Sam, Dan, and Juno, I'm happy to say, I know you know what you've accomplished today. It's true the three of you must no longer roam. It seems you've cured your Klondike syndrome. Thanks, bro. Great poem. Seward and Service do their bro handshake to the mortal misfits. We must leave now. Klondike Kate is performing tonight and we cannot miss it. Anyway, happy trails, wise ones. Seward and Service leave. Birds. Music. Gold. Horse, thank you. I have a name now, you know. Aww. Nady, you too, horsey horse. <laughs> oh, fie. Hey, Alex, take a look at this. Whoa, uh, kids, you look pooped. How long have you been walking? Um, a hundred years, give or take. They've lost their marbles. Or they must be LARPing. I mean, they have the period costumes and everything. Max, they're not LARPing. Are you kids LARPing? Method, I love it. <laughs> Good lord, let's get back to the camp and get some food in them. Kids, we're going to bring you to our camper, okay? We're cooking some sourdough pancakes tonight over our grill. How'd you kids get a horse out here? Save the questions for later, Max. They're obviously too tired to speak. Is that a harmonica? I'd say it's about time for a duet. What songs do you know? Dan beams and begins to play. Ah, that's an oldie. The tune feels oddly familiar. Hiker 2 follows along with the harmony. Gets more confident as they go on. The song is beautiful. Coins jingling. Golden flakes fall from the sky. Ragtime kid plays a ragtime refrain. Only Juno notices. The end. And now that we have finished reading this wonderfully fun, but also really smart play of Folly, we are going to give some feedback to Aurora Mitchell, would you like to start us off? Yeah, I thought it was super fun and super hilarious, especially how you mixed the um, the old timey like poetry and these ghosts from hundreds of years ago. And although the audience didn't see it, they check their Apple watches when they're doing the time, which I thought was a detail that you won't hear. You won't really tell from the podcast, but I think just mixing like the modern language with these old characters is just such a funny concept and really well executed. I thought it was absolutely hilarious and especially being the horse, which was really fun. Thank you. If this script is ever like released for people to read, I think it was a pleasure to read, especially getting to see some of the stage directions that we didn't voice in this reading. You do, you have a voice that comes across and it's very fun, but also it's still it's still with the story and it still feels in place. I think you have a really distinct style in this play that's really consistent as well. So I tip my hat Thank to you. the chef on that one because yeah, I think it was just it was really well done because it wasn't it wasn't just the normal talking heads kind of play. And sometimes I think when people do that it can get lost in the story can get lost, but I didn't think that happened in this one. And there was a great use of music, which I thought mm. was really amazing. I really, I really thought it really added to it and it was part of the story. It wasn't just like something that is added later. This really incorporated the ragtime man at the piano and having all that and the samples that the audience heard. Um, it was just really amazing. Who is the composer again? Uh, the composer is Noah Lovins. Yes, that was it was great. It's just fantastic and they the incredible. They're incredible. Okay, I'll tell you the story about how I got this guy because it's kind of hilarious. Um, so I go to a really small school and as I was writing this play, I really wasn't thinking about who was going to write ragtime because I, I mean, I don't write ragtime. So I was asking one of my musician friends on campus. I was like, you don't happen to know anyone who like totally crazy, totally random here. You don't happen to know anyone who writes ragtime. And he goes, oh, yeah, Noah Lovins. No, he loves ragtime. You should reach out to him. And so I reached out to him and I was like, do you write ragtime? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, do you want to write ragtime for me? And he was like, yeah. And then he just wrote me some ragtime. If you're listening, I mean, plays, find a way to bring other artists in. And I think 
people just love working together. So collaboration's so fun. Yeah, a whole series on it. Collaboration is so much fun, and especially when things happen like that, like like coincidentally, you're like, oh, hey, mm-hmm. I'm look, I'm looking for this. Do you know anybody who can do this? And just like when that happens and like works out, it's just so awesome. And yeah, it's great. It was so awesome in this case too. Yeah. Just because we recently did a podcast on this, do you submit this to any competitions? I have only submitted this to um, stuff within my school, but as I edit it a little more, I'm thinking about actually submitting it to some bigger stuff. Because I think this is a perfect student competition piece. It is within that like 20, 25 minute range that is kind of the sweet spot for most original competitions. Um, but it's also, there is a story, there's a beginning, there's a middle and the end. And it sounds like basic feedback, but I think especially with these shorter pieces, it is very hard to do that sometimes. Yeah. So yeah, I know in our last, second to last podcast, we were talking about submission pieces. And I think this is just a really excellent example of one. So I highly encourage you to submit to things if you see any, because I could see a lot of attraction to this piece, because it's also a story that you wouldn't know, but it's fun to know, you know? It's told in a really enjoyable way that people, when they read it, they'll enjoy it, and people reading it will know that when they see it on stage, the audience will enjoy it. It's just, altogether, it's a very enjoyable, very fun as well as, yeah, it's a story people don't know. It's just a gr- altogether a great piece. It, it was a very nice experience. Thank you. You know, like reading and hearing this play out loud. There wasn't a part where it felt like it was dragging. I thought it was really appropriately spaced out. Um, the characters had voices and they were contemporary, but they also weren't. So honestly, just really well done. That's really all I got to say. I'm very curious because this is such a fun piece, so I kind of want to know what was going on in here when you're writing it. So, what inspired you to write this piece? Um, many, many different things that I mushed into one. <laughs> uh, I knew that I wanted to write a piece about Alaska. It was where I was raised for most of my life, and it's something that I think is very unique to me and very special to me. So I was like, I know that I have to write something about Alaska. And when I started brainstorming this piece i'm gonna go i'm gonna get a little political here is that okay yes okay. we don't shy away from okay it. cool um when i started writing this piece it was at the same time that the trump administration had announced that they were going to open anwar for potential oil drilling um and anwar is a location in the upper east corner of alaska and there's i mean it's beautiful there's nothing there um but it's really really important for uh, caribou migrations and bird migrations, and also like the um, native Alaskan population up there relies a lot on those migrations in order to get their food and keep their um, culture going. So when I heard about that, I just got really angry. Um, And I also started thinking about like how my Alaskan ancestors came up to Alaska because of the gold rush and how Alaska has white people there because of harvesting beaver fur and um, the gold rush and now oil. Like Alaska is very much based on taking things from the environment. And so that um, sort of anger spurred this idea in my head where I was like, well, I really want to talk about that greed component um, in a fun and engaging way that also teaches you a little bit about Alaskan history. Um, And so then I uh, fever wrote at 3 (laughs) a.m. and I included poetry from um, Robert Service in sort of my my studies um, because he has an amazing voice. Um, Side note, Robert Service, the cremation of Sam McGee, which is where Sam gets the name, and the shooting of Dan McGrew, which is where Dan gets the name, are two very important poems in my life. Um, and so I took those characters because they both sort of depict these um, greedy, sort of like rough people who came up to Alaska for the prospect of gold. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just like pulling from all different components of Alaskan 
um, gold rush culture that really interests me. Um, and then the play happened. <laughs> it's great. Re- it's amazing research. I think that's really awesome. And it's a story that I'm not used to hearing at all. If anything, I would say you could, might be able to go further with that because I think that what you were telling me was great. And I wish we almost got a little bit more of it, you know, just to really nail that message in. And next, what was the hardest part about writing this play? Well, the hardest part was actually what you just mentioned, <laughs> um, because I feel like this play kind of took a path of its own after sort of that that point of um, deciding why I wanted to write this. It just kind of like veered off track and I'm still kind of trying to get it back, you know? Um, I remember I showed it to my mom and she was like, that's a great play, Aurora. What is it about? <laughs> um, and so I think that that's the question that I'm still trying to put back into the script is have that, you know, have that why in there because it got a little bit lost along my wacky journey discovering who Sam, Dan, and Horse are. <laughs> um, I'd yeah. say, though, it's really interesting that it kind of worked in that order because I know even me personally, a lot of times I'll have an idea for a play and then I'll keep writing it. And it's a lot about the bigger picture, but the story gets lost. And I personally think that the story is the most important part. And so I think it's really great that now you have all of these characters and you know who they are and you know what's happening. And then you get to layer things on top of it. Um, but yeah, I know a lot of people who kind of works reverse and it, they kind of curse themselves out for it. But I think you have this amazing foundation. Um, and I can't just, I just can't wait to like see what ha- all happens with it. Yeah, I think definitely characters are what drive plot and that would plot helps story. So I think having these really strong characters, which you do have, really helps. Although I do understand the the what it, what is this play about is really open to interpretation with this one, which leads to the question, our next question, actually, which is what do you want audiences to take away from this play? I think there's several layers to this. The first layer is I want people to walk away from it going, what the heck did I just see? Because, (laughs) um, I mean, I am a big advocate for theater of the ridiculous and just writing ridiculous things because theater itself is a medium that is just weird and taking Mm -hmm. advantage of that and just having people have a weird experience, I think is enough in itself. Um, And then hopefully after they have this experience and go, what the heck did I just watch? They also have a conversation um, with themselves or other people too. That's good too. Um, about greed and how that plays into the show. I think um, I, I don't need them to go into a full analysis of Alaskan economics, but just have that understanding of like, you know, these are two very greedy characters who go on this wild journey and it all is spurred from this greed. So um, like, what, what's that about? And then like the third layer under all of that is I want people to um, learn a little bit about Alaskan culture in a way that is kind of wacky. Um, I want to make people be like, who is Soapy Smith? Now I have to figure out who Soapy Smith is um, and, you know, try to figure out, you know, why is this play called Folly? What, who is Seward? Who is Service? Um, because I think that no one, really, no one really talks about Alaska in American history and it's Alaska's pretty cool if I do say so myself (laughs) Um, well I'll say you did a really good job with that because I am pulled in I was I was googling them you know um I I was really intrigued and it was like you said it's something that I as a California public school educated person have never really heard about you know yeah so one of the big things we here at the player repertory podcast like to focus on is process and so we want to know, like, what was your process for getting like getting an idea and getting on the page? Like in general, what's your process when it comes to like writing a play and getting seeing that blank page and getting something on there? Basically, all of my process comes from what I have learned from the writings of other writers. And I think as a writer, that is the most important thing that young writers can do is learn about how other writers do it. Maria Irene Furness is a an amazing person for like creating and generating ideas. She talks a lot about how a good writer is an observer and like you always have your eyes open and you always have your senses at work um, to figure out how to translate that 
into your writing because here's here's the secret no one tells you about writing you can master grammar and you can have a great vocabulary but neither of those things makes you a good writer what makes you a good writer is taking in the world and then spitting it out onto a page but first you need to take in the world so i think that's the most important thing about idea generation is that observing factor i also am a big advocate for the what if statement when coming up with um, writing, you know, just asking yourself, what if this crazy thing happened? Um, let's write this and <laughs> see what happens when this crazy thing happens. Um, cause writing is really the space to do that. And then I think the biggest thing that I have been trying to train myself to do that has really helped in my writing is just writing everything down on the page, um, and not judging my ideas before they leave my head because I think ideas need to be exhausted before you can decide that they are a fail because it's better to epically fail at an idea than to not even examine it at all. Um, and I also think that uh, I have been able to find my own voice because when I put everything down on the page, that's my most authentic self. I'm not censoring myself at all. Um, and so by not giving myself that judgment and knowing that I can always go back and edit out the stuff that doesn't work. Um, I've been able to actually let my voice happen and let some interesting aspects of the story happen that wouldn't have happened otherwise. You know, let the characters sort of take a journey that might seem a little daunting and weird and scary to me, but I just write down, <laughs> write it down anyways and see where it goes. I think that's really important is just following the path as far as it goes until you find a dead end and then you got to turn around and go back. <laughs> yeah, that's a really great, that's a really great answer. Really just having exhausting all the ideas out and not judging. That's one of the big things like I know I, I struggle with lots of people struggle with it. One of my uh, idols in writing is Stephen Sondheim. One of the things he does both musically and lyrically is he will lay out all his options uh, before mm -hmm. he decides which one he goes with. Both, yeah, both musically and lyrically, he does both. He does that, and really getting all those ideas out unfiltered before you can try to edit it is something that's really important and would really it really helps when it comes to writer's block because oftentimes writer's mm -hmm. block is when your editing brain is ahead of your writing brain, and so yes. it's really it's all about just getting your ideas out there without judging them. And yeah. That's the most important thing. Yeah, definitely. I was. This might be a, a segue here, but um, I was. I just got done teaching uh, fifth grade girls a comedy camp and we were writing a sketch. And one thing I noticed is that these girls are brilliant. Like they come up with some hilarious stuff that I could never come up with. But every single time they were about to put something down on the page, they'd go, maybe we should, wait, no, that's dumb. And then it, you know, it wouldn't be heard. And so I was working with these girls and just saying, listen, you gotta just write it down. And we got to a point where I was like, okay, you're not allowed to talk anymore. You just have to write down everything. And all of a sudden, all the good ideas just piled up. I think it's a really valuable skill. I just want to get this quote in there because it is the most important quote that I've ever heard about writing. That's a, that's a pretty insane setup. My idol for writing is another Stephen, Stephen King. Um, and he, when he was asked what good writing is, his answer was telepathy, of course, which just made me like, <sighs> um, which is basically the idea that you are taking something inside of your head and transporting it to your reader's head. And I just, that is the quote that really got me going and made me realize why, why it's so important to write and why it's so important to use your authentic voice to write. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad that I have that piece of knowledge now, you know? All right. Now, Mitchell has a game to play. Yes, I have my one contractually obligated NPR game. Just one game. game. Yes. <laughs> I respect that. Yeah. So this game is called, to quote Smash Mouth, all that glitters is gold. gold. So. I've never heard that. I've never heard that. You never. That's like their most iconic song. Is it? It's from All Star. And all that glitters is gold. Oh my gosh. Okay, I get it now. But I don't know the lyrics to that song. Yeah. But I, I know the tune. So, <laughs> so the Record Industry Association of America certifies albums and singles as gold, platinum, and others. So, 
this game is about that. A different type of gold than the gold rush, of course. But it's gonna I'm gonna be asking you questions about these certifications. So yeah, I'll just get into it. Question one. Only one artist or group has had over 100 gold certified albums. Is it A, The Beatles, B, Barbara Streisand, C, Elvis Presley, or D, Frank Sinatra? I'm going with The Beatles. That is incorrect. It is in fact Elvis Presley. The Beatles have had 48 gold certified albums. Wow. They've written a lot of music though. (laughs) They have. They do. You know what though? It was... It was a lot of music in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the certifications happened later, too. Mm-hmm. A lot of certifications happened in, like, the 70s, 80s, 90s. And so it's, mm-hmm. like, it's after their, like, the heyday, you know? Question two. After Elvis, this female artist has received the most gold-certified singles. Is it A, Taylor Swift, B, Rihanna, C, Mariah Carey, or D, Madonna? Oh my gosh. Um, Mariah Carey? That's my best guess. It is, in fact, Taylor Swift. No! (laughs) It is. Mariah Carey has had 27. That's really upsetting to me. (laughs) Taylor Swift has had 52. I'm a Swifty. Been with her forever. I'll support her. Mm, We have a conflict here. (laughs) Oh no! I know that people aren't Swifties, but I'm going to be a Swiftie. We're two characters composing worldviews. All right. Question three. Did you know there are certifications even higher than platinum? Which of these is not a real certification? Is it A, diamond, B, double platinum, C, multi-platinum, or D, it's a trick question. Those are all real. Oh, no. I felt like I was confident until he said the last one. You're so evil. <laughs> um, <laughs> diamond sounds fake. I'm going with diamond. It is, in fact, double platinum. What? That sounded so real. I give you... I I'm- know. It's because it's... Cause it's th- that was a particularly evil one because when they certify it, if it goes again, another... I think it's... Platinum is... One million units... It's it's two times platinum, not double platinum. But multi-platinum does exist, as does my, diamond. Okay, my head hurts now. I know. I was a, That was a really mean question. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay, number four. The first album certified platinum was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Is it true or false? I don't know. I have a winning streak here, obviously. <laughs> so I think that I'm probably going to keep this up by saying... Let's go with true. Why not? It's false. <laughs> I win. Yeah. That's the most brilliant name that anything has ever named anything. Sergeant you know? Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. Yes. Yeah, that's a great name. Yes. The actual <laughs> it's a wonderful name. The first album certified platinum was actually Lionel Richie's "Can't Slow Down," which you didn't have to know. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> now we do. Now the the more you know. All right. Which artist has sold the most multi-platinum, which is a real one, singles? (laughs) Is it A, Taylor Swift, B, Katy Perry, C, Rihanna, or D, Lady Gaga? And I'll give you a hint. The answer is a name you have already heard. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, Wow. Okay, let me think. Oh, but I've heard two of those names. (laughs) Okay. You know what? Just because I'm a, a Taylor Swift hater, let's go with Rihanna. You're correct! Yes! Yay! Oh my gosh! <laughs> yes! I decided on that hint. I was going to put in originally that I realized that the only two, only two of them were a part of it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to give the hint this time. It she has it by a lot, too. She has it by a lot. Otherwise, I would have gone with Lady Gaga because it. I, I just... The Poker Face song. Lady Gaga actually has the least. She has the oh. least. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Taylor Swift has 20, Katy Perry has 13, Rihanna has 32, and Lady Gaga has 12. It's close, but yeah. But you got it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, thank you so much for being with us, Aurora. Uh, tell us, where can our audience find you, shout you out, be like, oh my god, I love your play. Is your play, are your plays anywhere? Yeah. What's, what's the deal? So I've got a website. I don't know how to... We will link your website okay, with the episode. Awesome. Well, I've got a website um, that has some stuff I've directed and um, some zines about theater. Um, very anti-establishment. <laughs> we love a zine. We love a zine. And then I've got some samples of some other writing. You can also find me on Instagram at AJ Borealis, like the Northern Lights, except my initials. Thank you once again, Aura. It was such a pleasure reading Folly. Uh, we hope to see you again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this wonderful play, Folly, once again by Aurora Belke. Uh, we had a great time with her. Go check out all of her stuff. She's a really awesome person. Um, now, if you would like to have your play on here uh, to be read aloud, we would love to have you. Mitchell, what is the link? Because I the link just, is... my brain can't hold that piece of information <laughs> one day, as one much day. as I try. One day we'll get it tinyurl.com slash PRP submit. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash PRP submit. Now, once again, I know we said this last time, but don't be afraid if we don't reach out right away. You can always DM us if you're worried about something. We do have a lineup at the moment, so new recordings might not be tomorrow, but we got you. You're going to be on most likely at some point. Um, so yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Also, if you are not a writer, but you are a theater artist and would love to talk about some sort of way that writers can work with theater artists, have a niche perspective on something, we'd love to have you here for one of our more mini episodes where it, it has been just me and Mitchell talking, but we'd love to have other people as well. So reach out to us with ideas about that. Uh, we, you can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Stitcher. Ask your Alexa to play us. Ask your and Google then Home if you're, if you're uh, one of those Ask your Google, Google Home. Home. And Mitchell, do you have anything to plug? I do have something to plug. Oh my goodness. I do. Uh, just today when this podcast is being released, because we release on Mondays, just today I've released a new play. It's... A political one. It's called Unanimous Decision. It's about the Supreme Court deciding United States versus Nixon, where eight justices have to come to a definitive decision that even Richard Nixon must comply with. So it's a very interesting, fun, uh, timely, timely uh, political drama. And it's available online on New Play Exchange and other places, my website. Yeah, so go go check it out. I have read this play. It's quite interesting. If you are interested in American politics and the judicial system, which I don't think I've met a writer who isn't, like, aware of things, check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Mitchell, do you have any final thoughts? Oh, Northern Deity, tell me how to end this episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.